Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be okay, First Samuel, let's get on with it. The family of Elkanah from 1 Samuel and 1. Now, there was a certain... Okay, now, okay. L- disclaimer, I'm from Texas. I'm redneck as it gets, and there's a lot of Hebrew names in here, and I'm going to butcher them bad. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of... If- <laughs> here we go. I know how to say it, but my tongue doesn't do it. I hear it in my head because I've heard it a million times, but my tongue, it has a hard time. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panina. Panina, Panaya, Tomata, Tomato, okay? Panina had children. But Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, something we need to know about Elkanah. It's not mentioned here in 1 Samuel, but if you want to jot down a side note in 1 Chronicles 16, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 6.33, says that he is a descendant of Levi. Very important to know that. He's a descendant of Levi. What's significant about being a Levite? Because they were the tribe that was chosen by God to perform the priestly duties. Priestly duties. And so you can see already that Samuel comes from a unique ancestral line that's going to uniquely position him. Now, how many of you ladies, if not men, but how many of you ladies noticed that this guy Elkanah had two wives? <laughs> not having that. Mm-mm, no. Okay. Back in those days, when a man's wife was barren, he would take a second wife to have children. This is not a practice that God approved of. God did not endorse it. It's not in the law. There's nowhere where it says, if your wife can't, then go ahead and find another one. Well, Abraham did that. It turned out bad. Okay, God did not approve of this practice. And so even though Elkanah was up in, in Shiloh doing sacrifice work, oh, he's doing good. That's doing good stuff. He was also acting according to his culture's influence. By having two wives, he was acting according to the culture. The culture says it's okay, so I can do it. How many of you see that going on today? Culture says it's not sin anymore. Culture says it's okay. I guess I get to do it too. So. When you see that it says he had two wives, that's not permission. Oh, well, that guy in the Bible had two wives, so I can do it too. No, it's a problem. (laughs) And most of the ladies are the ones shaking their head. No, it's not okay. (laughs) 
This always caused trouble. And another problem we see in this society here, we've got a lot of the societal environment set up for us just in these first few verses. Another problem that we already see given to us is the mention of the two priests, Hophni and Phinehas. I want you to remember those two names. I want you to mark those two names and keep a snapshot of those two names because they are wicked, evil men. They are not good guys, and they are working right in the priesthood. That shows you how messed up the culture is already. Just these few verses, you can see what all is wrong with the way people are thinking then. Don't point your finger at them too much. We think pretty messed up in our culture today, too. And so much of the culture that we see in the setting, people had the appearance of godliness, but they were walking according to the world. Elkanah's up there doing sacrifice work. You got priests. They look godly, but are they? Okay, hang on to that. 1 Samuel 1 and 4. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Okay, I'm not sure if Hannah quite saw it like this. But man, at least give Elkanah some credit for trying. I mean, kind of. I mean, shouldn't he have known? (laughs) What's wrong with her? Are you not in tune enough with your wife to know what's bothering her? That was kind of my thoughts. I just read it like I see it, and I I think about it, right? Now, for us to understand Hannah's grief, the depth of her grief, I'm going to throw us all in the picture with her, okay? Because I think this is where you and I are going to get a chance to relate to her. This is where the power is going to be, is if we can relate to Hannah. We need to know that when women could not have children, particularly no sons to carry the family name, People in that day perceived that as being a curse of God on that woman. That is a cursed woman. She has no point. She's pretty much worthless. And so Panina probably felt that provoking Hannah was okay to do it. She probably thought she was justified in doing that, that maybe even God himself was good with her acting like that. And something I just noticed, and I've been studying this all week, something I just noticed is that Uh, She provoked Hannah when it was time to go to the house of the Lord. She's on her way to go praise, and that's when she cranks it up. I mean, that's just demonic stuff right there, guys. That's the attack of the enemy. And so, again, we see the foulness of their society, their way of thinking in that time that everybody is functioning messed up. Everything everybody's doing, there's something crazy wrong with it. Now, to Hannah... This is the insult, the most loneliness, the biggest failure. This is embarrassment and probably the worst feeling of worthlessness that a woman could go through. Hannah is having to endure all of it pretty much by herself. Ever been there? Oh yeah, I know you have. I know some of you probably are. Now, although Elkanah tried to encourage her, seems good, 
he's doing sacrifice work. Seems good. But my question here is why is Elkanah keeping Penina around? Why is he keeping that woman around to facilitate this mess? Why is she even doing here? How many of you women would say, husband, she's got to go? How many of you would have said that? Uh, uh, Honey, uh, that lady's got to get. get. Get her out of here. Elkanah was being an enabler. He was actually contributing to the problem by keeping Panina around. He shouldn't have brought her into the picture in the first place, but... That's the sort of things that happen when you listen to your culture, what your culture tells you is okay, instead of what God says is okay. Today, we call it political correctness. Political correctness says, I can do this and I can do that. God's word says, no, you can't. That means it's sin. Culture says, no, it's not. It's acceptable now. And if you fall into that trap, you become an enabler of your own, your own misery sometime. You can become your own, your own worst enemy. Social approval does not mean that God approves of it too. Now, Panina wanted what Elkanah was giving to Hannah, but she couldn't have it. And so out of hateful fury, she attacked her for it. What we are seeing here is a woman who has been positioned by the Lord. Hannah has been positioned by the Lord into a seemingly hopeless situation so that God would be glorified. Now, this is a good story for us because you're probably in a hopeless situation or have been or will be. Why? Why, God? Why am I in this? Because God is going to get glorified through it. Let's read on. 1 Samuel 1, 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. That is a Nazarite vow. Verse 12. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What? You're just going to switch it off like that? You're just suddenly not sad. (laughs) That's my reaction when I read this. And just like that, you're not sad anymore. Well, what did she do? She prayed. She even got attacked again, this time by the priest. And you know what she did? She stood up for herself. She didn't get mean about it, but she did have the courage to speak about her position. I want you to take a snapshot of this moment right here. 
Hannah is all alone in this moment, and everyone around her is somehow part of the problem. Everybody. Everybody in her life. But after she prayed, it says, her face was no longer sad. What just happened here? What, <laughs> what switch came on or what switch switched off? I don't know. Something moved. What happened? How can a person who is in an impossible situation, being so miserable, feeling like such a total failure with enemies in her own household, even in the, in the, the tabernacle, all the way around her, how can a person like this go from having all the cards stacked against her to suddenly being not sad? Because I want to know the secret to that, because I want to use that. When you authentically cast your cares upon the Lord, you'll find out that he is enough. That's what happened here. What Hannah did is she put her trust in God for real. You ever have people say they prayed about something, but they're still walking around miserable? Did you really pray about it? Yes, I did. Well, I know you said something, but did you put your heart and your trust in it? Praying is not just speaking at your, your complaints to God. It also means trusting in him that he will deal with it. Ain't just talking, it's believing, okay? If you think about it, if Hannah's own husband could not comfort her, and he tried to, and nothing worked, then who did comfort her? Obviously, the, the Lord did that, because she was all by herself, all alone. Even with the priest saying, you're drunk, she was all alone. God did something. First Samuel 1 and 19. Then they, then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Okay. So not only did Hannah have faith and prayer by asking for a son, but apparently her faith rubbed off on Elkanah too. Because the, you can see between the lines here, when they got home, they both acted on that prayer, <laughs> right? And they had a son. They put it into action. And so now Elkanah is becoming better for it as well. First, he's helping contribute to the problem. Now he's acting in line with the prayer. And it worked. Elkanah's becoming better. And now Samuel's name means heard of God or asked of God. Hannah asked for a son, and the Lord remembered and answered her. Therefore, his name is Samuel, asked of God. 1 Samuel 1 and 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is waned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, wait until you have weaned him, only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Something I just noticed here, what did not happen this time when they went to go worship? What stopped? Penina is not mentioned as provoking her. I don't see it. Do you? So she's taking care of her child now. Really, when you think of it, the whole provocation that Penina did is you ain't got no children. Well, now she does. And now I don't see it mentioned. Is God not changing things? You think God can change things in your life too? Oh, yeah, he can. Now, remember, 
Samuel comes from a priestly line, a Levite line. And so the intention here that what we're seeing was to take him to Shiloh and leave him there. Didn't she say, leave him there forever? How many of you ladies could have a child and do that? Have a young child and say, bye. It's not like, it's not like going to summer camp where you're back in a few weeks. He's, once they let him go, he's gone. That was part of the vow. So they were going to take him to Shiloh, leave him there, learn how to work as a priest in the tabernacle. But for this trip, he was still too young. He was still too young to go. He needed to grow up a bit first to be able to eat solid foods without Hannah being there to nurse him. She had vowed to give him to the Lord, and so Elkanah agreed that after Samuel was weaned, let the Lord establish his word, he said. Let the Lord establish his word. In other words, you will send Samuel away so that the Lord can fulfill the very reason that he gave us Samuel in the first place. The vow was based upon sending him to do service work. When he's ready, let the Lord establish his word that Samuel will become a priest. This is non-negotiable. You can't change your mind. Well, I I think I'm going to keep Samuel now. He's really grown on me. This is her own son. She can't change her mind. And and it's pretty much set in stone that Samuel is soon going to be leaving. And I think it's wonderful that both Hannah and Elkanah are able to recognize that since God fulfilled his side of the vow by giving them Samuel, they were going to fulfill their side of the vow by being willing to let Samuel go as soon as he was able. That's not, that's not easy to do. But they wanted to honor the Lord's vow and letting him go when it was time. First Samuel one twenty four. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull. And brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Again, how many of you parents could have done this? This is time to let him go. That had to be hard to do. It said he was young. The Bible wants you to understand the level of commitment to honoring the vow that Elkanah and Hannah had. He was young, and there he goes. Some of you have a hard time crying just when your kid gets on the school bus for the first time, but you know he's coming back that afternoon. Very difficult moment, possibly. But she kept her word. She didn't go back on her vow to satisfy her own desires like probably most people would have done. Elkanah and Hannah, they knew that blessing is in obedience. Blessing is in obedience. That's something for us all to remember, that blessing is in obedience. Most people, they don't find God worth obeying. Have you noticed that? I'm a Christian, but they don't pray. They don't study God's word. They don't hear it, so they can't be building their faith. They don't assemble in the body of believers like the word of God says to do. They don't obey the Lord. They just don't. They don't find him worth obeying, but they all want the blessing. Oh, Lord, bless me while I sit here and do absolutely nothing that you tell me to do. That's America, most of it. Blessing is in obedience. Maybe you're thinking, well, there's no way I would give up my child like she did. The very reason she got the child in the first place was because God knew that she would release him to service. He knew she would obey 
Now, after having Samuel, Hannah never again ever had to say that she was childless. I think that's the good thing that she still gets to keep. She never again has to say that she's childless. The Lord removed her shame. He took away the insult. He removed the provocation of that wicked woman jumping on her all the time. He gave Hannah a sense of purpose. Do you see what he did for her? Oh, I got to let my son go. But look what she got. And she got to keep. She, she has been restored. She's been restored. We serve a God of restoration. Did you know that? He's not just some distant guy off out there. I'll see you when you get to heaven. He's working now. He's working in our lives, and and he restores us in our troubles. So let's review the chapter for our own application here. Let's see what what we just saw. Let's review the chapter real quick. The book starts off with Hannah being positioned into a impossible situation. Ever been there? I know you have. That's a given. You've been in impossible situations. Not only is she barren, But to make matters worse, an abrasively wicked woman is constantly making her miserable while her own husband fuels the problem by letting her stay around. Everybody around her is giving her grief. This seems like an impossible situation. Now, consider your own impossible situation. You feel like you're the only one and everybody's out to get you. Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We just saw that happen in this first chapter. Whenever you find yourself faced with an impossible situation, remember that God is using that seemingly impossible situation to refine you, to change you, to purge out the impurities of doubt, to refine you, to get you to the point of asking with absolutely certain faith that nothing is too hard for him. That's what Hannah did. God, I'd like to request a son. Nothing is too hard for you. And that's why she wasn't sad anymore, because she believed it. Some people stay down in the dumps, even though they pray. They're praying about a situation. They want to tell everybody, I believe God can do it, but they stay moping all the time. But do they pray in faith like the faith Hannah had? Hannah's prayer was so faithful that it actually shut off her sadness. Have you ever had prayer actually cut your sadness off? It should. (laughs) It should. She really believed that God could do something for her. You know, when you continue to look for ways to fix your own problems, and we guys are the worst at that. I'll speak for the men. We're fixers. I see something broke. I'm going to fix it. Oh, got to fix that. And we get so mindset like that, we think we can fix everything. And we try to fix everything, even the things we can't fix. But when you get into that that pattern of trying to fix everything yourself, you're not trusting in God anymore, you're trusting in you. But once you find yourself totally stripped of every possible angle, like Hannah was, that'll make a person cry out to God for real. That's sometimes what it takes for some of us. We have to be brought down to nothing before we'll really hand it to God. When you find no way to fix your mess, then that leaves all the glory to being God's alone. Just His, because He's not going to share His glory with anybody.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.